Shelf Esteem is brought to you by the City of Port Adelaide Enfield Libraries. Welcome again to Shelf Esteem. In this episode, we bring you an exclusive author talk with artist Peter Drew. His poster campaigns and slogans like Real Australians Say Welcome have been a phenomenon across Australia in recent years, sparking conversation, controversy, imitation and more. Peter's memoir is called Poster Boy and it's available now through PAE Libraries. In it, he explains the complex intersections of personal identity, national identity, culture, art, politics, and he manages to do all of that in a really engaging and humorous way. The discussion you're about to hear was presented by Sonia Lawrence in the community room at the Parks Library in Angle Park, and post-production was carried out by me, Luke Eigenram, in the media room at the Parks Library in Angle Park. Now, both those spaces are available for free community use, so if you're interested, contact the library and we'll give you all the details you need. Now, this was our first time live recording an author talk here at the Parks Library, so there are a few audio teething problems that you might notice them pop up once or twice throughout the interview, but it's an amazing half-hour chat with Peter, really insightful and just a unique story. Peter started by explaining what some of the motivations were behind him sitting down to write this new memoir. Well, I'd been doing the poster projects for a few years and I had never really stopped to think about why I was really doing it. I think as any artist would know, you sort of find an idea and you find a bit of momentum and you really respond to what the audience responds to. And I'd been doing that for years before really examining not so much what the posters were about, but why me in a way? Why is it that I had become this person that travels around the country sticking up posters? Because it's kind of an odd thing to do. I was invited to a panel discussion about Australian identity on panel discussions you get to speak for about five minutes and it's always sort of in the context of what's already happening so you don't really get a chance to say what you want to say and then afterwards I had a really good chat with a friend of mine right after the panel and it was about a number of family secrets that I'd never really spoken to anyone about before and suddenly I realized that there was this interesting parallel between my family secrets and Australia's unresolved identity and I thought that's an interesting analogy. You do speak a lot about your family in the book you're very honest and open about them what did they make of it when they read it? It, It's still still happening really I mean like they I told them that the book was coming out and I I sat down with my mum and dad and said mum and dad I've, I've written a book and they went yay and I said well it's got a lot to do with our family and they went oh um But ultimately, they supported it in principle. My dad basically said, look, if you need to write a book about this stuff, then then that's something you need to do. He had a lot of trouble reading it. And I sort of said to him, look, you've just got to get through it. The thing is, I had a really great chat with my mum and my dad right after they'd just finished it. And they were, although it was mostly about how much they didn't like the book and how uncomfortable they found it, it was, they were some of the best conversations I'd had with my mum and dad. And so, yeah, things are somewhat difficult at the moment, but um, I wouldn't say that they are worse. Did they read it before it was published? No. Uh, no, I didn't want them to get into their head that there was going to be some sort of a, a process. I really, when as I was writing it, I really was getting into a zone in which I wasn't thinking about how this is going to be received. It's hard to write that way because if you, you know, 
you stop yourself from being honest in that way. And so I just, in order to make sense of it properly, you really need to just put the words out there and, and uh, figure it out. The subtitle of your book is A Memoir of Art and Politics. But you've also said that you're not very political, but your posters have the political message. Well, I, I really didn't like political art. I still don't like a lot of political art, really, because it's that sort of sense of certainty that you know the way the world should be and all the fault is out there and not in here. Believing the fault is out there is a way of running away from the fact that we are essentially imperfectible, that we have faults that we can't overcome and so we get obsessed with fixing it out there. And I see that in a lot of political art and my some of my political art is guilty of that in some way. There's a sense of irony to a lot of my posters, I think, in trying to make fun of that sense of certainty and try to find some sort of middle ground, some sort of a compromise because peace is always a compromise of sorts. Who do you want to influence with, with your art? Is it everyone or is it particular sets of people depending on what posters you're doing? This sort of comes to the question of whether I'm doing art or activism because when you're thinking about whether who it is you want to influence and the influence you want to have, if that is your primary goal, then you are an activist. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think art, if it's anything, is something somewhat different to that. It's actually a, a process of inquiry to find out about the world. That's what it is, first of all. It's about curiosity and imagination. Really, who I'm trying to affect the most is is myself. I make a poster like Real Australians Say Welcome because, to me, I'm curious to find out, do Real Australians Say Welcome? And in a way, putting the posters out into the street is an experiment to find out whether they, they do. The why, why I do street art rather than other art forms, it's because I like public space and I like being able to communicate with people who don't go into art galleries. It's actually a a great uh, forum for discussing things. What does your day look like when you're putting up your posters? I uh, stay in youth hostels because they have kitchens where I can cook up the paste. There are the, the usual youth hostel people, which are usually backpackers, mostly Europeans. And then there's me sort of with a big pot of glue <laughs> and and I'll get up very early and go out and put on a high-vis vest and usually jump on public transport out to the end of a line and just just sort of follow the, the train line back. I can stick up a maximum of 50 posters in a day. There's something actually quite addictive about it to be absolutely laser focused and sort of selfish about it in a way to not thinking about anything else other than just putting up posters how can i do that with maximum efficiency yeah i've had to sort of confront that in the book there's something about me which is a bit um it enjoys that sort of fanaticism and i sort of thought well why why do i <laughs> why do i like that what's appealing about it um it's that that sense of just uh, absolute purpose which is sort of a um it's a dangerous thing to, to want to have in some ways. So when you get to the end of the line of where you're going, how do you pick where you're going to actually stick the posters? That's a good question. Um, I, I look for graffiti. That's the easiest way to do it is to find other tags or other posters is especially good. But it's, it's mostly finding ugly spots that someone would have trouble believing that my poster had made it look worse, basically. Uh, but I, I won't put, stick it to places of worship or private residence unless it's like a, a big block of units or something like that. 
it's really just comes down to aesthetics. Like, will it look nice? Can I get away with it? Um, yeah, I think I've just sort of developed an eye for it. I can sort of see the spots and know where it's going to work out. And it's it's surprising sometimes I see people post on social media where I stuck up posters and thought, well, this is definitely going to get removed, you know, by the end of the week. And it's still there a year later. And that's always sort of a, a great surprise to me. It's fun. Like when you start using public space in that way, in that, all right, this is a, a an arena for expression. I'm going to stick up my posters wherever I can get away with it. It really changes the way you th- look at public space. It turns into a completely different thing. I didn't think I'd find this bit really interesting, but I was really interested in how you make your glue. Like <laughs> if it was me, I'd just pop off to Bunnings and buy a big vat of glue <laughs> but you actually make it from scratch well it's, it's called wheat paste but it's it's the same sort of stuff you use for paper mache i buy flour from a supermarket and then mix it with water sort of one part flour to five parts water mix it really thoroughly and then cook it up on the stove and it hits a certain temperature and all the gluten releases all of a sudden and it becomes very thick um, and it's the best glue for the job because anything you buy from Bunnings is is synthetic and, and really uh, tacky and, and hard to to use and it synthetic glues are just really harsh in a way um, whereas the the paste you can sort of rub it off your hands and it's not the only bad thing about it is it does go off so I mean after a few days of campaigning my clothes just they smell a bit and they look terrible um, but that just helps me get into the zone. So obviously lasts a really long time and you said a year later it can be there. When you go back to a place where you've been, do you go back and see what's still there? And Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's that's the thing I found with the campaigns. When I started, it was like, it was a very territorial thing of like just try to get as much territory hit as possible in as many places as possible. And then the next time around, I was going back to the youth hostel, doing it again. It wasn't an adventure in the same way it was it had become this routine do you tend to go back to the same places or do you go to new places when you say if you're off to sydney or something like that 50 50 like i really like going back to old spots but um then there's always i mean sydney's an enormous city so um yeah there's always more to to discover your newer posters have quite different messaging and different feel to them from uh, political and immigration messages to a more self-reflective ones what do you think has prompted that change? The, they're all related in a way. It all ultimately comes down to decisions that people make themselves. Politics is on, on the surface in some way. And if you can sort of burrow underneath that to deeper values, that's a better way of influencing politics in some sense. I mean, that's something that art has license to do. So I think they're, they're related. So they're not really that different. I sort of got a bit tired of things being overtly political. Yeah. I think we've all got a favourite poster of yours. I know I've got one. What's your favourite one? Oh, it changes. My favourite poster is always the one I haven't done yet, which I'm thinking about <laughs> in my mind. And I never sort of talk about that until it's it's done because it's, I, you know, sometimes I come up with a poster design and I sit on it for six months and sort of mull it over and then go, well, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but um, I'm doing a... a a bunch of ones that are about forgiveness at the moment, which I which I like because it's an it's an interesting idea, forgiveness because it is an idea. It's not sort of something that 
we should take for granted. It's, it's a concept that people came up with and worked on and then embedded into culture that we can have the ability to forgive one another. And it's interesting to think that an idea like that goes in and out of popularity. People forget that they have that capacity to forgive. Mm. I, I like putting that into my posters. You've also had many encounters with the public while putting up your posters. Can you tell us about your most memorable or best or the worst or the scariest experience that you've ever had? Well, the ones I remember the most are the ones not when the other person... Well, the, the other person always behaves badly, but it's when I behaved worse than, than they did. <laughs> um, they're the ones I try to recount the most in the book because you might expect me to write a book which is all just sort of rah-rah, uh, my post is great and these are my political convictions. And But re really it's about me questioning those convictions and, and whether I should be as certain as I, as I have been. Because people, journalists love asking me that question. Like, so you meet sort of the uh, the old racist white guy, and sure, they're they're out there. But that idea that all the guilt and all the fault is on the other side is sort of um, it's a kind of a self righteous notion, and I don't like to to feed that. In the book, I describe meeting these political pathologies that are on both sides of politics. Some of the most interesting ones are the ones that reminded me of myself because there was this one guy in um, at Melbourne University, sort of a student uh, activist, and he had stuck up his posters over mine. He was upset at me because I was using the word Australia in a positive sense because it was real Australians say welcome, as if being Australian is something we should aspire to. And his point of view was that um, that's right. He said that Australia is a fascist construct, and that and therefore he was justified in sticking up his posters over mine. I sort of made some fun of him, and he he kept going at it. Um, and I ended up sort of uh, flipping over his table, <laughs> covered in <laughs> his posters. And just one of those things that you do is even as you're doing it, you're going, "I'm regretting this already." <laughs> but um, I was that angry about it at the time because I was so sort of. Um, obsessed with what I was doing. Ultimately, I met this kid like who didn't like my posters, but he sort of reminded me of myself in some ways when I was a little bit younger, a little more arrogant, a little more self-righteous. It sort of makes you sort of think, well, what am I missing now? You know, what, what are my blind spots now? Mm. You've had quite a few encounters with different politicians as well. There's a bit in your book where you were in Canberra and there's one guy that you kept coming back to. What was his name? Keith. Ka Keith. And he was kind of like the, had the opposite kind of politics to you, but you kept talking to him about things. I find that really interesting in your book as well. Yeah, he is an interesting character. His character is actually a uh, an amalgam of two people. He he really sort of in some ways embodies that. Um, what would you call it? He's sort of a nihilistic character in some ways, and uh, he wants to win in politics. It sort of exemplifies this kind of this nihilism, which is which characterizes our um, our time. Uh, and you know, you see that a lot in politics. Is that you sort of question what does this person actually believe? If they are so sort of obsessed with just winning, what's interesting about people like that is they they are actually quite convincing in some ways, and they're not stupid. They actually have a lot of good information. I didn't want to sort of set him up as a straw man either. He's actually got some very uh, persuasive points but there's ultimately something missing you know when mm. someone is nihilistic and all they care about is power 
there's some sort of lack which uh, once you expose it, you sort of you wonder whether you <laughs> winning is really that uh, important when it's not sort of um, shared in some way. How much do you think that social media has contributed to your success? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's involved in everything now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of the, the projects I have had, they have some sort of element which is collaborative in the sense that the audience gets involved. Um, all of them, really. The Real Australians Say Welcome projects uh, exploded when other artists started getting involved and um, redesigning the slogan and sharing it on social media. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty... You can't yeah. escape from it, can you? No. And you'd probably get similar interactions, would you, that you do when you're on the street, like the, the trolls and everything as well? You take them less seriously online because there's there are really no stakes. Uh, someone can say anything they want to you and they might be a bot. So there's really no point in getting emotional about it or, or too involved. And and I find it just sort of it ebbs and flows. It's not like a constant barrage of abuse it depends how much noise I'm making and if I take a break and spend more time in my studio it sort of just dies down so you do have some sort of sense of control you can always just put your phone down as well Hmm. is there anyone or in particular who influences you in your art probably my wife the most uh, because she's the person that sees everything first she designs textiles uh, scarves and socks and so we pretty much show each other everything yeah we're quite different in a lot of ways and we notice different things about what we do and it's just it's good to have an honest critical eye when I was younger I used to show things to my dad because he was an art teacher so I always sort of respected his artistic point of view but he never ever lied to me about my work like he he never sort of pretended to be impressed it was very hard to get sort of him to go oh that's good usually you'd get he'd sort of laugh and go yeah it's <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um it's good to have people as an artist it's good to have people around you who won't uh bullshit you in some way mm. so, yeah. can you tell us any more about what you're working on now i'm working on a new writing project which is very different it's not sort of it doesn't actually have anything to do with my posters and it's in the very early stages so i can't possibly talk about it but um i have a couple of new poster designs that i'm working on i'm working on doing one for climate change because i think the whole climate change debate is i mean what really can you say about it i mean all the the evidence is there Mm. everyone's sort of decided one thing or another I think what's interesting about it is the sort of the existential angst that it evokes that sort of those deep fears of death and total annihilation. There's so much interesting ground to cover there. I mean, why would you want to save a species that seems so intent on sort of destroying the world? I know I just think there are interesting questions to ask in that and I... Yeah, I'm still I'm still in that stage of sort of playing with it before I settle on a design. Yeah, it's very big at the moment, isn't it? After the Greta Thornburg and yeah, and I I sort of wonder uh, what role does an artist have because it's not really awareness building. You have to sort of find a question that you can ask that makes the other side question their position. That's a difficult thing to do. Um, yeah, ultimately, I find the best way to do that is to ask something that I'm really unsure about you said that you needed to write a book to make sense of it all does it all make sense now 
<laughs> no, I mean, that's, um, there's an element of vanity in that and in, in believing that you can make sense of your life or of, or of anything which is bigger than yourself. If things make more sense to me now. I can sort of see, you know, connections between things that I didn't see before. But ultimately, the process is humbling in that you realize your your limitations, your sort of ultimate powerlessness. And that's sort of a, that's a good good thing to realize if you're involved in politics I think is a sense of humility and and uncertainty because if you are certain about your political convictions it can lead to unnecessary conflict it can make you very effective politically in the short term but it does um uh leads to strife down in the long term I think Mm. what do you want your legacy to be I don't think about that <laughs> no at all. Idea. I mean, to be honest, that's the sort of thing you think about when you're a teenager, you know, like you sort of think, you know, what is my life going to be about? And really, <laughs> it's um, if you're too inwardly focused that way, it you, you miss the enormity of what's happening outside of yourself. And once you understand that you can't ever really uh, fully understand the world, then you've got plenty to do, you know. There's, there's plenty to, to try to figure out. Definitely. I'm going to open it up now to our beautiful audience. Thanks, that was fascinating. Um, I had a question about your forgiveness project. Um, is, it, is that up now? And like, did something in particular serve as a catalyst and how are people responding to it is, if it is already up? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of posters. It wasn't a full campaign. It's just a couple of posters that I put out. So there's one which is just the defini- the word forgive and then the defini- dictionary definition to put forward the idea that this is a word that we should perhaps know and it's a useful tool. The other one was real power forgives. And I can't remember exactly how I came across that slogan because there's a lot of rhetoric about empowerment and I mean, what is ultimately powerful? Well, the most powerful side is, is the side that chooses to forgive. It's quite funny. I, once I stuck it up, I, I got some interest from supporters of mine that were sort of of a religious um, persuasion. And I am not particularly religious myself, but I I can see it, it is kind of a, a theological idea in some way. Um, and there's not much of a, a secular equivalent to sort of say, well, forgiveness is really important. And, and I think it's interesting to see sort of an idea like that sort of slip out of the culture and fall out of favor. And, and it makes you wonder, what does that do to the culture at large um, if we just forget about our capacity to forgive, if we're always uh, aggrieved and sort of looking at the world as if it's a power hierarchy? I just think that that's a, that's a losing game. Um, what do you think of Banksy's work and has he influenced uh, any of your art? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't really know about street art until someone gave me a copy of Wall and Peace, which is his most popular book, and that was a long time ago. Yeah, I think he's got a great sense of humour and great wit and his perseverance is terrific. The fact that he's managed to stay anonymous is is great. But he's kind of like the Elvis of street art in some ways. You know, there's lots of different ways of doing street art and, and sort of finding a space within that subculture. But he's kind of the one that everybody knows, even if they don't know anything else about the, the subculture. So, This is a three-part question. <laughs> Firstly, are you the only person who puts up your posters? 
And if the answer is yes, have you thought of outsourcing? You know, <laughs> you can have poster putter-uppers in each state. And do you know how many posters you may have put up over, um, you know, the campaigns? Uh, yeah, no, I put them all up myself and I've put up, it would be between four and 5,000 altogether. Um, and the reason I do it myself is because I like to be accountable for all of them. But also I think it's kind of adds to what the posters are because when you see one of my posters, you see it's not just a poster on its own, it's, it's a part of a series and it's kind of the spectacle of one person's obsession in some way. And I'd like to keep it like that because if I start outsourcing, then it sort of becomes something else. It doesn't mean other people can't get involved. They can get involved by making their own work, which is influenced by mine or uh, takes one of my slogans and changes it, which happens and uh, which I almost always enjoy. But yeah, I don't really like just having an enormous task to do. I'm going to stick up a thousand of them. It's sort of, it gives me a challenge ultimately it's it's something for me to be obsessed with um, you mentioned that um sometimes people have taken your ideas and then they've added to them and you've mostly enjoyed what they've done or been interested what kind of things have people done with your posters there's one that which i talk about in the book which is a great example someone in melbourne who made a version of the aussie poster but with rolf harris and jake bilardi jake bilardi was a Melbourne kid who went off and joined ISIS and blew himself up and so it really and it's had the word Aussie underneath it and so it exposed the the platitudinous nature of the posters because my posters are a bit sort of pumped up and optimistic Aussie is great multiculturalism terrific like it's sort of simplistic in a way and so yeah those posters expose that albeit in a very sort of tasteless and nihilistic way in some sense i mean the jake bilardi one really does confront you know on a deeper level what was going on especially at the time because he's someone that i'd thought about a lot well before those posters showed up he's a pretty sort of interesting kid in some ways in the way that we sort of create monsters out of uh, these pathologies that we want to separate them from ourselves and it becomes harder and harder to feel empathy for them so yeah when i saw those posters they were sort of immediately annoying but the more i thought about it i thought well there, there is actually a point there it's made not so well but it is still a good point and so then i went and changed what i was doing i came out with a, a poster which in some sense made up for the pumped up optimism of the the original campaign um, i haven't read your book but um one of the questions I guess that popped into my mind as you were speaking was about the reception that you have from um, the Indigenous communities around Australia and what that's been like for you. Uh, it's a hard question to answer because there is no one Indigenous community. There, there, are, there are Indigenous people who don't like my posters, the ones who really do. There's no sort of identity group which is a, a monolith if I can say something cogent about it, the, the Real Australians Say Welcome poster, if taken literally, supposes that belonging to Australia is something that we all have um, some sort of purchase on and isn't sort of something that belongs only to one group or, or another. And so what does it mean to belong to Australia? Do Indigenous people have more purchase on that than people who are non-Indigenous? And so I had to sort of go back and 
and question that and sort of add to it. I mean, that's the one good thing about coming up with new designs and them all being connected is that you can sort of continue the conversation because you can't squeeze the entire universe into one poster. There's always more to say. I'd like to thank Peter very, very much for giving up his time tonight. And also Sue from Booked. Thank you very much. Thanks we have a little me. gift for you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And that was Sonia Lawrence in conversation with artist and now memoir writer Peter Drew in the community room at the Parks Library in Angle Park here in South Australia. Peter's memoir, Poster Boy, is of course available now through City of PAE Libraries. Thank you for listening to Shelf Esteem. Please subscribe. We've got loads more author talks and other cool stuff coming up real soon. If you've got feedback or ideas, you can contact us. The email address is shelfesteem at cityofpae.sa.gov.au. And you can reach out to us on the social networks. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes. This edition was presented by Sonia Lawrence, recorded by Sonia Lawrence, Luke Eigenram and Kat Kennedy, produced by Luke Eigenram with music by Lee Rosevere.